neighbor say, hurry up. All right, praise God. Now, I have you there simply because we're going to get there. And I don't want you to get lost before we get there, so you've got your place. Just keep the thumb mark there, and we'll get there in just a minute. But speaking of intervention, does anybody know who Paul is? <laughs> Not that Paul needs any kind of intervention. I just thought I'd throw that in there. But you know who Paul <laughs> Hey, that's your daddy, right? Come on. He's like, I know Paul. Well, Paul, if you remember, he gave a little bit of a testimony of just how God has blessed him just in the last uh, several weeks. And he shared just how he's living the blessed life and how God has been just, just turning his life upside down. And so I wanted to share a little bit of his journey, if you will, simply for the sake of expressing maybe a natural illustration, but to be able to deliver a spiritual principle that we can talk about this morning, all right? And so, as I said, concerning Paul, if you remember Paul, he was uh, an individual. He's been working for General Motors for the last few years. He's become uh, very well-liked in, in his area. But as a result of him working at General Motors, he was just on the general assembly line. He was just a, a laborer. He was just a line production person. And if you will, if, you, if I can say this, and I don't say this with any... Uh, uh, with, with anything behind it, but for the sake of the example, he was really a laborer, just a grunt worker. Do you understand what I'm saying? When it comes to General Motors, there's tiers of hierarchy concerning the, the, the workforce. There's the grunt or the general labor or the assembly workers, and then there's the, the supervision, and then there's upper management, and then there are skilled trades. And every one of those are different tiers of levels of employment and position of responsibility. You, you get what I'm saying? And so he was really, if you will, at the bottom of the, the totem pole when it came to his work uh, employment there at General Motors. But as he's working there, he's saying, I know that there's more in me, and I know that I want more out of life. And he says, I don't want to just stay here. He says, but I want to work my way up to become more and be more. And so as a result, he put in for a supervision job to become a part of upper management or management within the company. You follow me so far? And so as a result, he was, he was moving up the ladder. And, and as a result, when you think about it, he would still be part of the workforce or the work body of General Motors. Now, he was in a different position at one time, but it doesn't matter whether you are a general assembly line worker or if you're in management, you're still a part of the workforce body, right? but there's just different departments. And so as a result, his title would change, his responsibility would change, and obviously the reward of that position or that change would be there. But as he was going to move forward and to make that change, there stands the opportunity for pushback, if you will. Now what I mean by that, maybe if you're not familiar with General Motors, but there's, there's kind of a defining line. There is the laborer, the workforce, and then there is management. And years ago, maybe not so much now these days, but there was a big divide. There was the laborer, and then there was upper management. And you just didn't cross lines. But Paul said, listen, I want something greater. I want more. There's more potential there. And so I wanted his purpose to take that step. Now, the pushback is this that there's coming a time when Paul becoming a leader and becoming a manager has to begin to tell the general workforce body to do something, and then the laborer has the opportunity to say, who are you? You used to be one of us. You've changed. You follow me? 
Well, who are you? You used to be just like us, but now you think you're somebody. And there's the opportunity for pushback within the workforce body. Even though they're the same, even though they've once worked together, his title's changed, but there's obviously the opportunity for there to be pushback. Well, in that time as he's purposed to pursue that job, he has since become a supervisor. They offered him a job. And he's been in this position for probably just a a little bit over a a month now. And so as a result, I've purposed to get with him and said, you know, how's the job going? Are you enjoying it? And he says, man, I'm really liking it. But here's what he said. He says, it's a lot of work and there's a lot to learn. And maybe it's just because Paul, because he's so smooth and so cool, he says, man, they put me in a bigger department. He said, I'm not just having to learn one thing. He said, I've got to learn a lot. And so obviously they saw great potential in him. But he says, man, I'm having to learn. And not only that, he's having to be intentional to learn to become this person that they've hired him to be. And as a result, he says this. He says, you know what? He says, it's really exhausting. He says, I come home and I'm just beat. But the thing about it is, is that he used to work with his hands. Now he's working differently. He's having to work with his mind. And he's having to learn a whole different skill set as a result of this title and position that he's taken on. Are you tracking with me? All right. So, in the course of a moment of time, Friday, he is a general laborer. He works with his hands. He works with his body. And he's a part of just the grunt workers of the assembly line. And please, I'm not being disrespectful when I say that. Please understand that. But come Friday night... Coming into the next work week, Monday, he is a brand new person. New title, new position, new responsibility. Just like that, it changed. Now let me just ask you a question with that scenario. How realistic would it be for Paul to show up on Monday saying, I am a supervisor and I know everything that there is to know about being a supervisor here at General Motors? It wouldn't be realistic at all, would it? In fact, if he goes in with that attitude, he's setting himself up for a great fall, right? All right, so you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read it first of all from the Amplified, and it says this. It says, Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. The New Living Translation says it this way. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So... What this is saying is that the moment that we receive Christ, the moment that we ask Jesus to come into our heart, the Bible tells us that there is something that died, passed away. There is an old part of who you were that no longer exists, and it says there is a brand new thing become new. And one translation says it's a brand new species of being, one that never has been created as of yet. So listen, one day you come to church. Somebody invited you to church and you're like, I'm going to go check GVC out. And upon coming to Genesee Valley Church, you say, I've heard of this promotion. I've heard of this opportunity of, of, of stepping up in a new title. I've heard this opportunity that they have a great benefit plans. 
And even yet, the retirement is awesome. <laughs> I hear that the, that the retirement is eternal, living with God. And as a result, you make the decision to receive Christ into your life. And just what we read there, the Bible says that you became brand spanking new on the inside. The old person that you once were inside no longer exists. So how realistic would it be for you as an individual to say, I got this thing. I know exactly how to be a Christian. Come on, you know what? You, you track it with me here. We, we gave you the natural example of Paul getting a new position title, but he's got to learn how to become that person. In title, position, and reward, he's brand spanking new. But he's got to grow and develop into being that person. And so we come to church and we feel this frustration because we say, I want to come and I become a new person but we don't become it, or we don't start becoming or experiencing how to be successful overnight, right? And how quick is it? It is a matter of a second. One second, you were an old man. You said, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart. And just like that, you're brand spanking new. And so we've got to begin to learn to develop who that new person is on the inside. Now, if you will, let's turn to... Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 1. Now, I talked about that new person on the inside. Let me just explain that to you for the sake of clarification and helping us understand. Excuse me, understand. Concerning your makeup as a person, you're made up of three parts. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, and you live in a body. Now, if all we've ever known is just this natural existence with, before Christ, this natural life is all that seems normal. But the Bible says that the real you and me is what's on the inside, the spirit man. And our spirit man lives in an earth suit. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, how many of you know that you're not going to live forever? You're going to die, right? Okay, if you go into outer space, what do you need to live in outer space? A spacesuit, right? And so in order for you to live in this earth, you need an earth suit to possess, right? So that means that when you go to heaven, the Bible tells us that he's going to give you a new suit. And it's going to be a heaven suit. And it's going to look just like this one. Maybe better, right? Hopefully better, praise the Lord. <laughs> but if you're five foot five here on earth, your earth suit or your heaven suit is going to be five foot five up there too. Don't think you're going to gain a few inches when you get up there. It's still going to be you. But what I'm saying is that on this earth, you are the real you on the inside and your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You tracking with me? Okay. So when you receive Christ, it's the spirit man on the inside that became brand new. When you received Christ, the outward man didn't change a lick. You were still five foot five. If you were thirty pounds overweight, you're still thirty pounds overweight. If you were if you were blonde headed, you're still blonde headed when you received Christ. Right? So the outward man doesn't change. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are connected to your physical body. Do you realize that if you're a if you're an individual that, that is given to 
just being grumpy? Well, the moment that you receive Christ and the inside man changes, well, if you don't allow the inside man to, to lead, you'll still be that old grumpy person, right? Concerning your thought life, if you thought negative, well, you'd still think negative because it's your inside man that has been changed, not your mind, your will, and your emotions. All right, so it's important for us to understand that element. You're made up of three parts, and it's the real you on the inside that became brand new. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, just want to make sure. All right, so Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read a number of scriptures here, just really kind of expounding on what we were talking about. And for the sake of those that are tracking with me on the overheads, uh, I'm going to take some uh, moments to expound, so just bear with me. But beginning in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that the grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live only or live any longer in it? So let's stop there for a moment. So what he's saying here is like before you were a Christian, before you were changed on the inside, all you knew was the sinful nature of man. The way you lived, the way you thought, the way you disconducted your life. That was the way of the sinful man. And he says, but now that you have received Christ... Do you continue with that same conduct? He says, no. But then he says this in verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So notice what he says. He says, Or didn't you know? So what are you saying? He's like, Once we receive Christ, we don't have to continue to live that old lifestyle there's a better life to live because of what Jesus came to, to give us. But he says, but maybe you didn't know what was available. Maybe you didn't know what was able for you to exist in to experience. He says, or did you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united, everybody say united. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we, are, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now notice that word likeness. United with Jesus, and there is a likeness that we have concerning what he went through. And I'll bring that out to you or expound on that in just a moment. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the old spirit man that we talked about, that the body of sin might be done away with. Again, you're a new creation on the inside. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died since once died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. All right, so taking all that we said there, let's again expound on that for the sake of clarification. He says, don't you know? 
Maybe you're not aware of this. He says, I know that you just received Christ. You became a Christian. And so maybe you don't know what's available. Remember, we just said this, that once you receive Christ, it's unrealistic for us to really think that we all of a sudden begin to live this Christian life perfectly, right? There is a growing process in which we can begin to grow in. The old spirit man was made brand new, as we said, but the body or the flesh still has its old desires. So in other words, what we were talking about with Paul's example, he's still a part of the workforce of the general body of General Motors employment, but because he's taken on a new title and position, there's an opportunity for there to be pushback. Who do you think you are? Well, did you realize that when something changes on the inside and the old man doesn't change, the old man still wants to do what it always, always did. The old man still wants to think the way that it always did, or the flesh man, the body, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so instantaneously, there becomes this conflict. The new man is saying, wow, something's different in here. Something feels good. I don't, I don't feel like I did. I, I'm brand spanking new. But the old man is saying, who do you think you are? You used to be like us, but you've changed, right? Come on, are you tracking with me? There is this conflict that begins to take place, and here's why there is a conflict. Remember we said that the, when we brought it to your attention that there is a uniting and that there is a likeness. The reason that there is a conflict is because your identity has changed. Not necessarily what we look from the natural side, but your identity in how God sees you has changed. Now, let me give you a definition of what identity is. And, and, and for the sake of remembering that verse, you're united with and in the likeness of what Jesus came to do. Are you ready? Your identity, or what simply identity means, is the state or fact of being the same one as described. The sense of self providing sameness and continuity in personality. Exact likeness in nature and qualities. And lastly, an instance or point of sameness or likeness. Did you see that? Now, I didn't ask you, hopefully, you got a wallet on you? Do you have your, your ID in there? Can I see it for just a moment? Wow. Woohoo. It's good that your inside man has changed. It, it looks better. <laughs> I'm just messing. Now, I asked him for his ID. Now, if you don't know, Kyle is his brother over here on the end. Now, his ID does not look like Kyle, even though they're blood relatives. His ID looks identical as to who he is. The likeness on this picture is the likeness of who he is. It's one and the same. Does that make sense? Thank you. So the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, you and I actually were there with him. When we received Christ, everything that he went through, the Bible says that it's just as though we were there. And therefore, as a result, there is no penalty for sin for you and me when we receive Christ. And as a result, God sees you just like He sees Jesus. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the head and we are the body. How many of you realize you cannot separate your head from your body? They're one and the same. Come on, you tracking with me? Now, once again, I was picking on Jordan here. But how many of you know he's not up there leading worship just with his body? And he says, you know what? My head was tired, so I left that on the pillow at the house. No, he brought that with him, right? They're stuck like glue. They're together. If they're not, they're in trouble. Well, if God or Jesus is the head and we're the body, we are connected with him, and therefore God sees us and treats us just like he does Jesus. And therefore, because of what took place, the newness on the inside of us, all of a sudden that begins to, put, uh, to be, uh, create a rub, if you will. It produces a rub. You became a Christian. You came on Sunday morning and you received Christ and you're like, I feel so good. I feel like I'm on the top of the world. I feel like I can do anything. I feel like God is so real. And then you go to work Monday. And you come in contact with all the old emotions and all the old feelings and all the old people and all the old environment and you begin to say, I don't feel like I did yesterday. Why? Because there is a conflict. Something on the inside is warring with the outside. Something on the outside is warring with what's on the inside. Everything on the inside of you knows what is yours. Everything on the inside of you has a connection and a relationship with God and is wanting more from God. The real you on the inside says there is more to receive, there's more to experience, there's great reward, there's great benefits by walking with Jesus. But this outward man says, well, what's the deal? I don't know how to do it. And therefore there is constant conflict. And so once again, why am I saying this? I'm talking about this is an intervention for you to say, why do I feel frustrated? Why do I feel like there's always this tug of war? Because it is the real you on the inside that has been changed and made new and the outward man needs to learn how to cooperate with the new man on the inside. Now, where's my phone? Uh, is my phone in here? Thank you, baby. There was a young lady that has... She's been in this church, oh, in and out for a long time. And I don't say this to, to point anybody out. But she, she'll come, maybe one service, and then she'll be gone for six months. And then she'll come one time and be gone for six months. And so it was just a couple of weeks ago, she sent me a Facebook message. And she asked me this question. She said, how do you keep faith when everything seems so crappy? That's her words. And I really struggled to give her an answer because I thought, you know, there is no easy answer to this question. And so I just prayed about it and I said, God, I said, help me answer this young lady. And I'm sharing this with you not to to get into the nitty-gritty of people's business, but this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where people are at, and this is about that conflict and having this intervention, if you will, to help us grow in our relationship with God. And so I wrote, this is what I wrote, and I'm just purposing to read you because I, I, rather than trying to remember, I thought it was a good way to bring it to you. And it says this, 
There is a simple answer, but maybe not an easy one, or not so easy of an answer. When you say faith, I'm assuming you're saying keeping your faith in God. Unfortunately, faith only comes from growing in faith. That means being in a faith-filled environment around faith-filled people, and church is a part of that equation. Being removed from that, you're only left with what seems crappy. The crappy environment, the situations, and the people in that environment are maybe left just feeling alone. If we're not intentional with growing in faith, it is impossible to keep faith. It just can't happen. By default, we go through life doing it by ourselves, hoping that it will get better. And it may for a moment, but all the while we're saying to God, we want your help, but don't let them in. And I said, I want you to know that we love you and care about you and we want to be here for you. And so why did I say that? I shared that with you simply because if we don't purpose to allow what took place in our lives as becoming a Christian, we will continue to live again for the sake of using your words, life will still be crappy. And we're like, why isn't it better? We hear about it being better. Because just becoming a Christian doesn't make it automatic as to what God says available. We've got to learn to grow in this life of being a Christian. Are you here this morning? And so my heart is, is that we would purpose to allow ourselves to be developed on the inside. As I said, one moment, you're away from God. But in the moment of making a decision and saying, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of our sins, just like that, you're brand spanking new. And God said this, and let me just read this for you, if you will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, the moment that you received Christ, the Bible says this in verse 18, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's what it says. The Bible tells us that upon being a Christian and receiving Christ into our life, He automatically, immediately gives you a purpose for your life. So before Jesus, you were just existing. But upon receiving newness of life, receiving this new title, this new position, these new rewards and benefits for your life, the Bible says God now gave you purpose to help somebody experience that same thing that you did. And so inside of you, there is this conflict that says, there is more. I want more out of life. There's something that God has put in me and has given me purpose. But if I don't know what that is, I keep feeling the pressure of why doesn't it work? I've got to grow and develop in my relationship with God. And listen, I'm telling you what. When you begin to know what Jesus did and really who you are on the inside, it will really change your life. And I'll close with this here. I'm going to just simply share a story with you concerning a student that I had in the Bible school that I was teaching. If you don't know, I've been teaching in a Bible college down in Sterling Heights. And there was a student, he, gra he gra is graduating this year. And in my class, one of my classes that I taught is a preaching lab where they actually have to get up and share a message in front of the student body. And so he just began to minister, and he had me crying in the middle of class. 
Now, here's the thing that you need to know about Bob. He's probably early 30s. And any time that you see him, he is the most genuine, kind, likable, lovable guy you would ever meet. He is so full of life. He is contagious. If you see him, he'll always say, come on, man, bring it here, man, give me a hug. And he hugs you every time he sees you. And so to see Bob, you would think, man, this guy had the best upbringing. This guy probably had a great Christian home because he is such an awesome guy. You get around him, he makes you feel better about yourself. But he started to share just this past week in our class. And he says, there was a bottle of wine that my two brothers and I drank. And he says, it was that bottle of wine that caused us or kept us from killing our mom and dad. And then he goes on to say, he says, listen, I encourage you. He says, you need to forgive. He says, when I was a little boy, he said, my mom and dad would lock us three boys up downstairs in the basement. He said, they would put us in our underwear and they would lock us downstairs in the basement while they were upstairs partying. And he says, now, when the end of the night came, he said, they would let us out and we would have to come up the stairs, single file line, from the oldest to the youngest. He said he was the youngest. And he said we were not allowed to eat anything or drink anything, but we were marched from downstairs into the bathroom. He said since we were not allowed to get anything to drink, he says my first brother would take a drink out of the toilet and go to the bathroom. He said my middle brother would then get a drink and then go to the bathroom. And he said then me being the last, he says I would get a drink and then I would go to the bathroom. He said, from there they would march us upstairs and they would lock us in our room. And then he said, you know, the week would come and he says, we'd get to go to school. And he said, we love going to school. He says, that was my safe haven. He said, I was able to get out of the house. And he said, I love school. And he said, now, when we got to school, he said, my mom and dad didn't send us to school with any lunch. And he said, so we would dig through the lunch. And he said, we loved it when we found a brown paper bag and when we would find a half-eaten peanut butter and jelly sandwich he says we hit the we hit the, the lottery when we got that and he said of course he said we were made fun of because we were the kids that dug in the trash and he said still to this day he said I guard my food when I eat he said we would come home he said I was physically emotionally and verbally abused he said, I won't even tell you what the babysitter made me do and what they did to me. He said, but then, he said, when we come home and it was time to eat, he said, my mom and dad would be eating their steak at the table. He said, they would have us boys come into the kitchen and line us up execution style on our knees, put yellow dog bowls in front of us, put a piece of white Wonder Bread a scoop of peas and a scrambled egg on top of it. He said, that was our dinner. And then he said, the one night we came up and we had a butcher knife and we were going to kill our parents. He said, we weren't going to take it anymore. And he said, it was a bottle of wine that 
my brothers and I found, and he said, if it wasn't for us drinking that and getting drunk, he said, we would have killed our parents. He said, they found out about us killing, wanting to kill them, and they sent us off to boarding school. He said, it was eight years later I graduated from college that I ever got to see my brothers again. And then he said, one day he met his wife. Met her in college. He said, I heard about Jesus. And he said, but I didn't want anything to do with him. He said, I sympathize with the guy that hung on the tree. He said, but I'm living like this, so why would I want God? He said, but I met my wife in college, and he said, she led me to Jesus. He said, after I married my wife, he said, I went, and he said, I confronted my parents, and he says, but I want you to know, Mom and Dad, he said, I love you, and I forgive you. He said, they denied everything. He said, but he purpose to say and choose to forgive them. And as he's standing there, he said, I don't know what a dad is. He said, but ever since I found Jesus, he said, I've got the greatest dad in the world. He said, that's why I love him so much, because he's the greatest dad. You would look at that guy and you would say, how? How could you be so full of life and so full of love when that's the life that you experienced? He's a principal today, loving on kids. And I'm telling you, that's the life that God wants us to experience. I know that maybe some of us came from junk, maybe we're going through junk, but God just wants to be so real. And here's a guy that has every excuse to say, screw you, God. Then he closed out his service or his little message there and he said, I got some pictures up here. He said, my mom and dad never took pictures of us. He said, so I have no idea what I look like as a kid. He said, I have no history. He said, but I look at my kids and I look at my son and said, it's got to be what I look like. And he's crying as he's talking about his kids. You look just like your dad. The Bible says that Jesus is your elder brother. Your identity is in him. And God looks at you just like he looks at Jesus. He doesn't look at you differently. And he loves you so much. And he wants so much for us. And so in this series, I'm trusting that we are going to go further and God is going to lift us up and we're going to just fall madly in love with our dad and say, God, this is, this is the life that you really want us to experience because the best is yet to come. There's so much that God desires for us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, please. Praise God. With every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I pray for every individual in this place. Brokenhearted, that is hurting, that has had an ugly past. God, every single person in this place might be a Christian. But just being a Christian doesn't mean that we know how to live the life that you want for us. 
And just because we call ourselves Christians or are Christians and have the title doesn't mean that we've learned everything that there is to learn. And so, God, we say we want to grow. We want you to teach us. We want you to train us. We want you to help us in this identity that we have in you. Because there is such great reward. There's such love and such such a freedom in you. So God, we ask that you would begin to teach us in this series of intervention. Thank you that our marriages, our homes, our lives, our personal experiences with you are growing. And we give you all the thanks and all the praise. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Can we just worship?